0: Welcome to fine is a four letter word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine, when it's really not fine at all. You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too. And so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs. So your actions take you in the right direction. That's where fine is a four-letter word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses, and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. As children without a frame of reference to really compare, however you're raised or whatever you experience seems to be normal. But what if quote unquote normal is not actually what's natural for you? Wendy Cock was raised in a family that owned a textile business specializing in cut and sew. From an early age, she was involved in business and financial decisions, basically as an equal member of the family. She was taught to think and problem solve more than she was to memorize and regurgitate. Very different from what many of her classmates experienced. Wendy grew up and became a chemical engineer. She got married and started a family. She was living her best life in a job doing what she loved. Everything seemed fine, but fine is a four-letter word. Her company was restructured, making her job redundant. And then the pandemic hit and she was let go with a severance. After taking 30 days off, Wendy discovered that while she had indeed been fine, she had not been energized in her work. In fact, she had been very tired most of the time, but it seemed normal because that's how everyone else was living. And it wasn't until she spent 30 days doing nothing that she realized how not fine that was. In a moment, when you meet Wendy, you'll discover the lessons she's learned since then. Starting with a day-long interview for a job she thought she really wanted, even though her husband told her ahead of it that she would not be accepting that job and the realization that working for someone else was not her destiny. This kicked off her journey to starting her own consulting firm. Having discovered her love of mentoring in her previous job, she merged her past profession and this love by joining the faculty of her alma mater, teaching biomedical engineering. Then she decided to write a book, and everything changed. Overall, Wendy had to break free from the clusterfuck of perfectionism that held her chained down. Once she did this, she experienced success she'd never even imagined was possible. Like Wendy, you may be living how you're living now because of the beliefs that have been programmed into you since birth, because of the stories you've told yourself forever, because it's what other people who seem to be successful are doing. But the part that gets overlooked by most people is that true success doesn't come from always doing. It requires time for recharging and allowing yourself to simply be. I'm talking resting, reflecting, and rejuvenating every day, not only on the week of vacation you might allow yourself every year or two or five. In my special guide, Five Easy Ways to Start Living the Sabbatical Life, you'll discover step-by-step how to do that on the regular without taking a month or year-long sabbatical. You know how you normally hear the disclaimer, don't try this at home. In this case, you can try this at home. And not just try, do. Visit zenrabbit.com and download it from the homepage. Change begins today. And now let's meet Wendy Cock. She called ahead and she's holding our spot. Come on. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four Letter Word. In this episode, I'm talking with Wendy Cock and I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, quick shout out to Cat Polsinelli. Pol- Am I pronouncing Paul Sinelli, right? She introduced us. so She sure did. Yeah. So thanks for being here. It is great to be with you today, Lori. Yeah. We had our first conversation uh, several weeks ago and I just, I took a whole bunch of notes and I'm really eager to jump into this and have you share your experiences with, every, with um, people who are listening. So let's start out with what were the beliefs and values that you were raised with that contributed to making you the
1: person you've become. I was raised where I was literally told you could be anything. I had those parents that just loved being able to pour in to the people around them, whether that was me as their child, my friends, their their friends. Um, they just really wanted everybody to live up to their potential all the time. I was in a family business And I realized later in life that I had such a really interesting perspective on the world that my peers didn't have being in that family business. Mm. Um, You know, I was a part of business and financial discussions from the time I was really little. And the idea of like, what is success and how does that work? And what do you do when things don't go the way you thought they were going to go? And how do you pivot to make sure that you're adjusting to what is happening around you and, and with your life? So they expected that I would just be an equal member of the family. That's so awesome. I mean, that is such a
0: fantastic background to have. And yeah, so many people don't get that. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: you know, one of my favorite stories was um, they. it was a textile business where they did cut and sew. And one of their major customers wanted us to bid out a new type of product uh, manufacturing for them. And my dad was out of town. So my mom and I went and... I, my job was to try to bid it out, to scope it, to take all, ask all the questions, come back and figure out how long it was going to take for us to make it, how much material it was going to take and how much we were going to charge them. To this day, Lori, I have no idea if we made any money on that (laughs) at all. It never seemed to matter to my parents if, if we did or didn't. It was about me having that experience, being able to go through it, uh, being able, I ended up having to build um, rigging on the equipment because the thing, the way I thought it was going to work, we couldn't actually make it work. Um, my friends that worked in the family business actually had to do the manufacturing in this way that I put together that was atrocious as a high school student. Um, but it was such a learning experience on how do you put trust in somebody and then make sure that no matter what, they feel like they succeeded. Yes. And, and I'm also thinking like it's a, such a great
0: exercise in problem solving, but most importantly, and I think this is, you know, kids need to learn how to think, not just what to think or like memorizing stuff. And that was such a great lesson in how to think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Um, So you didn't go into the family business, though. I did not. <laughs> I actually ran from it as fast as I could. When I was in high school, a ton of my friends worked for my mom in her business as their after school job. And I instead went and worked elsewhere for my after school job. Uh, Well, that makes sense because, yeah, I mean, working for family members, that's hard. It to me, it wasn't it didn't feel the same as working somewhere else right so to me just being a part of the family business that's just what i did i started making dinner for the family most nights when i was in middle school because i could come home from school and i could my mom would leave out the ingredients and the recipe on the counter and while she was still working and trying to get things finished i could get the chicken in the oven Mm -hmm. or i could start the rice and we didn't eat a lot of great meals for a while right we just sort of (laughs) ate whatever um and then I experimented with things, so my kids to this day, one of their favorite dinners is potato chip chicken. Okay, which yeah. is what? Which is um the crumbs in the bottom of the potato chip bag being breaded onto the chicken before you bake it. Oh, okay. I created that when I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, and sure. it's still a fan favorite. Um, But, you know, Cheetos, Doritos, whatever's left. <laughs> That's what happens wow. when you leave the 13-year-old in charge of the kitchen. Yeah,
0: no, but that's cool. Also, a, you know, being able to experiment and see what works and what doesn't. And I'm sure there were things that didn't work. I did the same thing. Like, I loved being in the kitchen and experimenting. My mom hated being in the kitchen. Like, she just, that wasn't her thing. And I loved it. And I would do the same thing. I remember making uh graham crackers when I was in high school, like, from scratch. Oh, okay. Not recommend. Do not recommend. It was... They were like cardboard, but it was the experiment thing,
1: right? You know, some things came out well and some things didn't. <laughs> That's right. I did. I've tried several times in my life to make a homemade corn dog. I cannot do it.
0: <laughs> no, some things are better left, you know, just by unpackaged. To the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you um, did anyone in your family go into
1: the family, take over the family business? No, my parents worked on it um, until my dad passed away in 2015, and I helped my mom shut down the business and live her best retirement life. Um, but throughout that time, the number of family um, and friends that worked in it, uh, that it filled a gap for a lot of people. It was where all the teenagers in my life learned about business and, and about money, and you learned how to have fun and work at the same time. You, um, My aunt worked for my mom for a while. Um, we had a a family that was a contract sewer for my mom. I grew up with her children and we would take fabric to her house and she would sew. And one of my mom's most proud days was the day that FamFam got her uh, U.S. citizenship. Mm. And, you know, being able to watch that family evolve, um, going to their weddings and them coming to our weddings, it it was very much just part of the family. We actually considered selling the business to that family uh, when my mom wanted to retire, and Miss um, Fam Fam said, "You know what? I'm going to use it to retire too." So she she decided not to. Okay, all right. And then what led you to um, to go to school and get the degree you got? Because you have a degree in engineering, right? I do. Yeah, my training is chemical engineering, and I don't I don't do much of that anymore. But I knew I wanted. To be an engineer. I am just old enough that uh, take your daughters to work day was a thing right? okay. in the 80s and 90s. And my dad had a corporate job that he worked while my mom ran her business at home. And I would go with him to the corporate job and the experiences that I got there, understanding the dynamics of work and how to be a part of that, I really enjoyed. But I wanted to be in a helping group, right? A helping type um organization or a career. And what I really thought I wanted to do was be a biomedical engineer. But I am also just old enough that that wasn't really a thing. Yet. Um, You were a chemical, a mechanical, or an electrical engineer, and then you just sort of specialized in medical technology instrumentation, medical devices, those sorts of things. So I became a chemical engineer because I didn't want to have to draw, and you had to do that to be a mechanical engineer. right? And um, I was just scared of electricity from my high school physics class. And so electrical engineering didn't sound that great to me. Um, so I went into chemical engineering, and I did that. Um, when I graduated, I did that for 20-plus years, most of it uh, in Fortune 500 companies, doing R&D, supply chain manufacturing, things like that. Did you love it? Was it what you expected it to be, or was it just something that you just
0: did because you were there?
1: Like no, a, a I Like a job it. showed up. Um, yeah, no, I loved Being able to take what a doctor or a patient needed and turn it into something that somebody can hold and it can help them to do the task that they were trying to do or to help them be better at their job. I loved when I moved into management and into strategy, being able to help the business do that same thing to say this is a particular widget that we sell and um, how do we make it so that it can help more people or so it can be more profitable so that we can drive the cost down for the user all of those pieces, where are you going to make it? I love puzzles. And to me, engineering is all puzzles all the time. Yes. So the bigger the puzzle, the more fun it was. So as I progressed through my career, I just got to work on more and more interesting puzzles. Very cool. Now, did you
0: realize at the time that not everybody thinks like you do? <laughs> no,
1: I did not. <laughs> I was surrounded with people who did think like me, so it reinforced that I was normal, although I was just with a very small group of people who were incredibly abnormal. (laughs) Well, I don't know that I would call you abnormal.
0: (laughs) I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I hate puzzles, and I'm not good at because I'm not good at them, and I love how it's so interesting to me how people think that what they're good at and what's easy for them is the same for everyone, And that's why I asked that question, because what you're talking about is so foreign to me, but what, you know, what I'm great at in terms of marketing and
1: is probably foreign to you. So, yeah, I've had to learn. I've had to learn a lot. I think when I, when I pivoted and uh, ended up writing a book, there's not a lot of chemical engineers that write business nonfiction, right? (laughs) Yeah. So how did you get into doing that? I think that's where um, I realized I was fine, Lori. Um, I was living my best life. I was in a job that I loved, working with people that I loved, getting to do the types of work that I loved. And we had a major restructure in the organization. And anytime you're in these big companies and a major restructure comes around, the the easiest ones to get rid of are the leaders because we're often redundant. We had been purchased by a larger company several years earlier, and they didn't need what we had in terms of leadership. They could have just absorbed all of our team um, into their team. But because of the pandemic, they weren't able to do that quite as effectively as they had probably wanted. I don't know what their business plan was, but that's probably what I would have done if I had been on their side. Mm-hmm. And um, I found myself suddenly without a job, no notice, effective immediately. During pandemic? Um, After. Okay. Yeah. Where you thought like you're safe,
0: you're through the pandemic. Oh, okay. So actually, that's not that long ago. No, no. Oh, wow. 18 months ago. Okay. I was on somehow when we talked, I thought it was longer ago than that. Okay. So, so. but what did you discover? Because I remember you saying something like, you, you loved everything you were doing, but once you weren't doing it anymore, you realized that it really was just fine and not really what your heart was calling you to do.
1: I had no idea how exhausted I was, Lori. Mm. I have always been a person that liked to, to sleep. I think that like, napping is one of my favorite hobbies. So yes. this idea that, you know, I would put the kids to bed and go to bed was just my life. I would wake up. I was with all of my mom friends. We talked about how tired we were all the time.
0: Like, it's like it's a of honor.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. Badge of honor. Mm-hmm. It's normal to be exhausted. And within 30 days of losing my job, um, I wasn't tired. I was able to stay up extra at night. I had energy to do things that I had not had energy to do. I ended up cranking out an entire book uh, because I just had all of this renewed energy. And when I look back, that's probably because I was fine. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, you were. But I wasn't energized. Interesting. Okay. I love that you just said it was you were fine, but you weren't energized, but you didn't even realize it. No. Because everybody around you, this is I love this. Like people don't realize that what they're living is not uh I don't know if normal is the right word. I always think of normal as like a setting on a washing machine, but uh, <laughs> but it's not um it's not healthy. And it's not how it's supposed to be. But when everybody around you is that way, you look around and go, well, everybody else is doing it this
1: way. So this must be how it is. Like, this is just how life is. Right. It's just adulting, right? There's a thousand memes about what it means to adult. Yeah. And so you think that that is the way you're supposed to do it. And what I found is that there were so many other ways to do it. Uh And in ways that energized me not just fulfilled me, because I was very fulfilled in my work. I enjoyed what I was doing, but I wasn't energized by it. It was draining me, and I didn't even know it. Wow. That's
0: okay. What you just said, that's going to be a key takeaway, because you can feel fulfilled and not be energized. I don't know if I've ever made that distinction before or, or had somebody bring it out. So, yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) And so, you know, it brings up the point, too, that when you allow yourself to recharge, to rest and recharge, which are two different things, your creativity soars, your creativity and your productivity.
1: That seems like what you discovered. It absolutely does. I was lucky enough to um, be wrapped up in a severance right so a corporate reorg which gave me a little bit of cushion that not everybody has when they Uh lose their jobs Uh but i had a financial cushion and i had a husband with a very stable job um in in bringing an additional income so i was advised to not do anything for 90 days for someone who likes to go like i do that's just not possible Mm -hmm. 90 days is is not a thing but um 30 seemed very doable to me okay Um, and for 30 days my husband really leaned in he let me that first morning the alarm went off to get the kids up for school and he said you you go back to bed there's no reason for you to get up i will take care of this um for 30 days it was what am i gonna do and and i could dream and i could imagine all these other types of jobs Now, at the end of 30 days, I did what most people would do, which was I started looking for another job Mm -hmm. because I had left a job. I didn't have a job, so I needed to find a job and um, found an incredible company with an awesome opportunity. And my husband knows me better than I do. And he said, why are you preparing for this big full day on-site interview? And I said, because I I need a job. Like, I need to go do that. And he said, you're not taking that job. So what do you mean I'm not taking that job? And he said, it's just, I I, I know you're not going to take that job. Just, I said, no, no, no. I've, this is it. This is the thing. It's what I'm going to do next. And so all day I'm I'm interviewing and they were great. It was a great opportunity. It was a fantastic company. I wish them the best I hung up and walked away and talked to my husband, and he said, "So how was it?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking that job." <laughs> and the next morning, I sent an email and said, "Hey, it was great. I slept on it. I hope you find uh, an incredible candidate." But what I realized is that thirty days of reflection said to me, "I don't want to do that again. That's mm. not the next path for me. Maybe it is later, but it's not right now."
0: Yeah, giving yourself that freedom to discuss to to. Like, do nothing to, like you said, dream and figure out what is it. Like, it doesn't have to be what it always has been, which is, again, I think a lot of people go to, that's the safety. Let me just keep doing what I've always been doing because it feels familiar. I'm willing to bet. I don't want to put words in your mouth. How did you feel after 30 days when you kind of went, well, I don't have
1: to do that? It was so liberating. Lori, so liberating to realize that there were other ways that I could provide for my family that weren't the way I had already always done it. Mm -hmm. So if I fast forward 18 months, and this is probably why you thought it was longer because you and I hadn't talked about the time period. In 18, less than 18 months, I now run my own consulting business, Engineering Leadership Solutions, where I do fractional leadership. I have a team that works with me that will come in and do program and project management and continuous improvement and help with management systems from an engineering standpoint. All the parts of my job that I loved, all mm-hmm. those technical things that I loved. I now have a business that does that. I wanted to coach and um, mentor. I loved that part of my job. So I wrote and published a book called Making Flex Work, and I get to go to organizations and people and companies who want to think differently about work and help them do that. Well, that's the puzzle part. How do I get exactly what they want from their organization in a way that customizes for them or or customizes their time as an individual? But the piece that was missing was working with students. I had been running our organization's undergraduate co-op program, like interns and co-ops, for seven years as a side job at work because it filled a particular part of my tank. Yeah. And about nine months after I got laid off, I joined the faculty at my alma mater teaching biomedical engineering. So there you go, full circle. Girl wanted to be biomedical engineer, didn't exist. Girl teaches biomedical engineering. That's so cool. Yeah, it's so interesting how you can't, You can
0: put together the pieces. You can see how they, one thing leads to another in hindsight. And, but moving forward, when you haven't lived it yet, you have to just walk in faith and trust that, that the right things are going to show up. Before, so at the end of those 30 days, after you said, I'm not taking this job, you were liberated. Was there any
1: fear? Certainly. There's, the imposter syndrome is real, right mm. this idea that people are going to find out that we don't know what we're doing is real and I had never really struggled with it, having grown up in that family that we talked about at the beginning where it didn't matter. just do the best you can do and that's that is success i've I made it through engineering school without a lot of imposter syndrome. I made it through working in engineering as as a female. Without a lot of imposter syndrome. And it wasn't until I was on my own that I felt it. And I think it was because you, as as an author and as a solopreneur, it's just you. It's very exposing. Mm. There's nobody else to hide behind. It's not somebody else didn't deliver on time, so you're late. It's not somebody else's work was not amazing, but it also has your name on it. It's not that the idea was... "Eh." But it was the team's idea. It is all you all the time. And it really took a lot to get out there. When I first started posting on social media, I would spend hours working on a social media post because I needed it to be perfect uh-huh. because it was permanent and it was my name and it was super exposing. Um, now I'll admit there are typos in my social media posts. And if you find one, shoot me a note and I will go edit it <laughs> and fix it. It's <laughs> fine. And it's not permanent. Um, But it just, it took getting over that to realize that it didn't have to be perfect. What did you do to get over that? Practice. Practice, like just keep posting?
0: Just keep posting.
1: Yeah, I set myself a goal that I would post one piece of content a month and then it was, oh, I can do that. Okay, so now I'll do two pieces of content a month. And now, then it was like, well, that wasn't that bad. I think I can do one a week. And now, you know, you just sort of get less and less scared as you do it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So setting yourself like goals that you could do, not
1: like all right, I'll do one a day. Like, no. Yeah. You don't have to. Well, and telling people. Okay. I, I told people so they they would hold me accountable.
0: Right. But the interesting thing about accountability is we really can only hold ourselves accountable That's because great. what are they going to do if you if you say I'm going to post once a week and then you don't do it, they're going to come over and like what? Like, right. they are going <laughs> to you know? say where was your post? That Right, right, right. Well, now that now I'm going to punish you.
1: <laughs> what are they going to do? Nothing.
0: Yeah, that's the interesting thing about accountability is like we look to other people to hold us accountable. But we can really only hold ourselves accountable.
1: Yeah, I think it's the, more about throwing it out there to the universe out loud and mm-hmm. declaring it than it is who you declare it to and what the implications
0: are. Yes, yes, I agree. So, okay, so you started doing that. And what what happened? Like, after those um, first few posts, what, um you know, were you getting people responding to them, interacting with them?
1: Like, what encouraged you to keep going? Well, first of all, when there was a typo, the world did not end. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So that was amazing. Um, It it reinforced that it would be okay when I did find one that I thought, oh, that is not exactly what I meant to say. And that didn't come out exactly right. Um, It was also okay if nobody liked what I did and nobody commented um, because I gave myself permission to experiment Mm. and to play with it a bit. Um, But yeah, people really started um gravitating towards it when i met with my publisher you know i didn't come from the world of writing i didn't come from the world of publishing i came from the world of medical device engineering so when i i had a manuscript i was ready to hand it over to a publisher and my publisher said to me so how many people are on your email list (laughs) which is a totally normal thing to ask someone yeah who runs a business Mm -hmm. that is customer facing but I didn't yet have a business that was customer facing. I had a book and I said, what email list? And he said, great, we're going to put this into um, layout, this book into layout. So you're going to get a proof in a few weeks. Until then, please get us an email list because you can't not launch a book that you don't have anybody that knows about it. And I started, I threw that out on social media and that was this most exposing thing I think I had done. Mm-hmm. This was months into the journey, but I hadn't told many people I was writing a book. Because that is super exposing, yeah, and permanent. There's no like go back and edit it. It's right. done, right? And, and um, so I threw out on social media that I was writing a book, and people just started pouring in. I want to know more. Tell me more. Here's my email address. Put me on your your list. And it felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah, right. Because when you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, and we'll put "supposed to" in quotes, but things happen easily like it's not like pushing a rock up a hill because this is just the natural flow of things that's right that's right yeah uh what kind of response then did your book
1: get so for me i had a goal to sell you know a few hundred copies to me that would have been sufficient that Mm -hmm. would have been a success i would have won i would have been on the top of the world Um, so that was my goal, a few hundred and and we, we overshot a few hundred. I was hoping to get one of those bestseller tags on Amazon. At that point, you could be in eight different categories and I hit number one in all of them by five o'clock on the first day that the book launched, Wow, which was very exciting because I created a little launch party at our local uh, Mexican restaurant. So pretty much everything in our life that's important happens at El Hanete. So we thought, well, we'll just go there for dinner and I'll throw out on social media that if you want, I'll be there. I'll have some books. If you want to buy the book, it'll be great. Um, talked to the manager and the wait staff there and he said, great. Just don't, please don't do it on Taco Tuesday. And I said, okay, I, great. We will not I was launch just the just going to ask if Tuesday. it was on Taco Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, so... um, Publishers really like to launch books on Tuesday, and so mine didn't know what to say when I said we cannot launch the book on Tuesday because I cannot have a launch party on Taco Tuesday. So we launched it on a Wednesday, and um, I—they didn't even give us extra wait staff because I literally thought it was going to be me and a couple of friends. We had over a hundred and fifty people show up. Oh at the my gosh! Class. Okay.
0: So we need to back up because how did you get that many people? Like you didn't have an email list even, but did you have connections? Have you been networking through your entire career? Like how did this many people show up for you both virtually online and in person?
1: So, I mean, some of it is just proximity. I am from Atlanta. I still live in Atlanta. I've grown up here. I went to college here. You know, it, Some of it is just my people are here. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's lucky enough to have their tribe where they live. Yeah. Um, And I am a... One of the things I love is connecting people and that personal connection. When people ask me, like, where is your happy place? And some people say the mountains. And my husband will not bat an eye. And he's like, the beach, Mm -hmm. sand and saltwater. That is my happy place. My happy place is where my people are. Yeah. So as a person who loves that connection... People people were willing to come out for me. They wanted to celebrate my success. So I had built an email list with about 300 people on it in um, 60 days, which my publisher thought was insane. And he's like, how did you do that? And I said, I don't know. I asked who wanted to be on it. And here we go. Um, and I email, I put to that email list that this is the Mexican restaurant I'm going to be at if you want to come. And I threw it out on social media. I had former bosses drive in from the coast of Georgia to be able to celebrate with me. I um the head of HR that had to lay me off came and bought four copies of the book. Wow. Um I had friends, my childhood friends were there, my work colleagues were there. I had friends from college that drove hours to come and be a part of it. Um it was just so much fun. I think the the biggest surprise was uh, one of my college roommates appeared in my house. She had worked it out with my husband. They live in Savannah. She drove up. She was like, I'm not missing it.
0: That's so cool. And that is also, again, that's the power of connecting with people, maintaining relationships. A lot of, if if um you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you may have heard that I used to teach networking strategies. And this is the thing. It's not about selling stuff. It's about building relationships that last as long as they last. And that's what you've been able to do really well. So that's really cool. Did you, where did you learn how to do that? Was that something that you also learned from your parents
1: or is it just something that came to you naturally? Well, that's an excellent question. I don't know that I've actually thought about it. Um, it's definitely something my mom does naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom is a connector of people naturally and she pours into those people in her life. Um, but it so I don't know that it was ever taught necessarily. It was right. just modeled in a way that felt very natural. Um, but I, I like my pack near me. That's that's the way we describe it. We you know yeah. I like my pack. I'm a pack animal. Um, even today, my mom and my grandmother live in the house next door to us. So when we go out to family dinner on Friday nights, my husband goes out with his wife. His two children, his mother-in-law and his grandmother-in-law, all in one big car <laughs> Wow! for dinner. We tell him he is responsible for a lot of women and children. Uh But so for me, just having those people close and being a part of it just was just was what I did. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I hear that from people that it's it's innately
0: part of who you are and you can learn how to be better at
1: building relationships, and still for a lot of people, it's just part of who you are. Well, as an engineer, I can tell you there's a system. I worked for a boss who has an incredible system. He, um, It sounds kind of cold, but he keeps a spreadsheet of his contacts, and on that spreadsheet, he has the last time that he interacted with that person and what they talked about or what he emailed, mm-hmm. and he has a frequency I want to talk to this person at least once a year. I want to talk to this person at least once a quarter. And at the start of each month, he filters that spreadsheet to figure out who is he supposed to make contact with in the next thirty days.
0: Yeah. Well, in that confident connections course that I had created, there was um there was a follow up piece to it called the Goldmine Prospecting System that was similar, it uses a spreadsheet because no matter what your intentions are and in terms of whether it's networking or building relationships or anything you can have the best of intentions and then things happen in life and you get off track. You know, when you're writing a book, you have the best of intentions to maybe write, you know, a a thousand words a day. But if you don't have some kind of system for keeping track and keeping yourself on track, it can easily go off
1: the rails. Right, you could easily go days and not write anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then the, the longer you don't, the longer you don't. And it's the same with, you know, your former boss having, I mean, that's a great way to keep track of. What's that saying? Like, if you want to improve at something, you need to keep track of it. Like whether you're tracking macros for your food or your workouts or your um, reach outs for building relationships, all of it, if you're not tracking it, it's not necessarily, it doesn't just improve because you want it to.
1: Wait, if they say, you know, what's important you measure, right? Yes. What's important you measure. Right. That's the thing. What you measure improves. There you go. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same reason that a financial planner will tell you to track where you're spending your money. It's the same reason Weight Watchers has been a company for as long as it has been because you're tracking your calories. Right, right. And it works, again. There's, it does. Yeah. And that's part of when, when I wrote Making Flex work, there were a lot of people that asked me for a journal. So I have in the past year created a, a workbook that goes with it, but it's really about just tracking your time. If what you really want is to be in more in control of your time, you have to know where you are spending your time. Right. So I have free downloadables and, and, different places where you can track your time and start to figure out when am I working and when am I not? And how do I feel about it? And am I being productive or am I just doing something to stay busy? Right. And
0: I, we could go down this whole other rabbit hole and I don't want to, but I do want to mention that a lot, cause I get a lot of pushback on this kind of thing too. And I'm begging you do as well, because people feel like, well, tracking is, uh there's no freedom in that. Like I, I just like to be a free spirit and do whatever I feel like doing, whenever I feel like doing it. But the truth is, there's more freedom in having the tracking and using the tracking system because it gives you like some, what am I like guardrails if,
1: if you will. It does. I tell them it's this is not like a contract with anybody, yeah. and I don't even suggest you write it down ahead of time. Just write it down after you did it. If you spent. 3 hours binging on Netflix just write it down. Yeah. No judgment, just write it down. Because later at the end of the week when you're like, "Wow, I didn't get anything done." You can be like, "But I did. I watched three whole series on Netflix." Right. I accomplished something, not towards my goal, but it was done. Yeah. Yeah. And right, and you
0: get to see um whether you how you how you might want to improve moving
1: forward. Right. Did you how do you feel about what you did this week? And then you can determine do I want to do the same thing? Do I want to do more of it or do I want to do less of it? Yeah, exactly. And if you don't keep track of it, you have no idea. You just know
0: that you didn't accomplish what you thought you wanted to and you feel bad. Right.
1: That's right. Where did all the time go? <laughs> yeah.
0: Speaking of where did all the time go? This has I been know. such a cool conversation. I, I have, I just took a whole bunch of notes. We're, I'm going to recap them in the, in the key takeaways. Two last questions. One. What's your hype song? And I know you are struggling with what you're gonna say, because you have so much music in your head that you that you like.
1: But I what do. are you gonna pick? So, um, I I have three for you. Here you go, Lauren. It's the best All right. I can do. We're getting bonuses. So, yes. Yeah. So when I am gonna go talk about, um, to like my students or I'm gonna go up in front of a bunch of people, I really like to listen to super calm music. So my hype music there is like. Christian worship songs like I need to calm down because I naturally have so much energy that if I go out there with that amount of energy in front of a bunch of college students my energy and theirs don't match and it's too far Mm. so I actually have to calm myself down if I'm gonna do that okay if I am writing if I'm writing and I need to there's something really important that I need to say I crank up 80s metal bands like hair bands as loud as I possibly can in my headphones And to me, it shuts out all the other noise. Okay. What's the first band that's on that list, the playlist? So I will usually just go to the Guns N' Roses Pandora Station. Okay. There you go. All right. But whatever comes on bring it on. Okay. Um, But when I'm going to talk to people about customizing their time, I literally cannot talk to somebody about it. And I did it this morning. I turn on Dolly Parton's nine to (laughs) five, because it like reminds me of what work used to look like. Yeah. um, And how nobody liked it then and nobody likes it now. That's
0: such a classic
1: song, too. Yeah, I love
0: it. Okay, thank you. And if someone wants to get your book or talk to you more about how to, you know, continue this conversation. Where's the best place for them to reach you and find your book?
1: So I'm on LinkedIn at Wendy Anderson-Cock, and then you can also find me at makingflexwork.com. Okay, Okay. perfect. I will put links to
0: all of that in the show notes. Maybe a link to the Pandora um, Guns and Roses channel since there was not a specific song, but we'll, yeah, cool. Thank you so much for joining me today, Wendy, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. What a fantastic conversation. I'm so glad Wendy was able to join me on the show. Here are the key takeaways. Number one, whether it's good, bad, or neutral, whatever we experience growing up is what we come to believe is normal. If you're involved in family decisions and problem solving, that's normal. If you're told to follow orders and not ask questions, that's normal. Number two, giving yourself the freedom to do nothing can be an act of courage in a society that values hustle and grind as a cardinal virtue, and even views a one-month gap in your work history as being suspicious or a red flag. Number three, it's possible to be fulfilled in your work but not energized by it. Wendy discovered this when after 30 days of not working, she found out she actually had been tired all the time. But she thought that was normal because everyone else was tired and even wore it as a badge of honor. Number four, when you become an entrepreneur after working for companies your entire life, imposter syndrome can show up because for the first time ever, it's all you. Number five, while having complete freedom to do whatever you want can be liberating, there's an even greater freedom that comes from having structure to the work you're doing. Wendy learned this from her boss, who kept a spreadsheet tracking everyone he kept in touch with, what they spoke about, and how often he wanted to keep in touch. Number six, when learning how to be more productive, start by writing down how you spend your time after you do things. If you spent the entire day binging on Netflix, just write it down and don't judge yourself. The fact is, a Netflix binge is an accomplishment. It just might not be the one that moves you closer to your goals. And number seven, lastly, give yourself permission to experiment. Life is an experiment. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it, too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care.